Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran of Faith and Family Friday. Carrie is in the house. Hi, dear. Hey, Tom. Carrie, you're feeling sick. I'm fine. You're fine. You're doing better than most. Uh, I do appreciate you being here today with me. I want you to stay focused, dear. Stay focused. Come on, let's go. Uh, We are going to talk about, what's the name of that book? Stolen Focus. Stolen Focus, yes, among other things. And uh, how do we help foster a sense of not just focus, but flow? What a great theme. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, we love you, thank you, and praise you for the gift of our lives, for faith, and for family. Lord Jesus, give us uh, grace and mercy today that we would have the strength to do your will and that you would show us favor even when we fail to do your will, that you would beckon us back into relationship with you and that you would protect us and preserve us from falling into the brokenness, the, the reality of sin in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for life. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Stolen focus, Carrie. I'm going to break your focus before we even get started on stolen focus. Because I know in, later in the program, we're going to talk about the scripture readings for Sunday. Is that right? Whatever you like. Whatever I like. Thank you, dear. I, li- I like this. When you're sick, you're much more docile. <laughs> this is good. This, you don't have the energy to fight. Yes, dear. Whatever you like, dear. I like this. I like this, Carrie. You know, you're not, you're not even talking. This is not very helpful. What, what reading or gospel do you want at your funeral? Oh, well, I have three that really come to mind and I've pondered for a long time. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> this is such a... Okay, just remember this. Song of Songs, Chapter 2. Song, hold on, let me Song write that of down. Songs, Chapter 2. Arise, my beloved, my beautiful one, and come. For see, the winter is past, the rains are over and done. And it, and it goes on about the fruits on the vine and the harvest. And then it ends with, I rise, my beloved, my beautiful one, and come. That is, that's, that's the word of God. That's God speaking. That's Jesus speaking to the soul in death. Arise, my beloved, my beautiful one, and come. For Do you see. remember when you first read that? You must yeah. have had this really powerful encounter. I had that powerful encounter when... My spiritual director at the North American College, Father George Ashenbrenner, gave a homily on that gospel, on that first reading um, at Mass. It was a daily Mass, and he said, this, this is a word of God for a funeral. And I don't know if he said it you know, in the, the way I just said it, like, I want this at my funeral. But he said, this is, this is the Lord speaking to a soul at death. And I, 
you know, I had to pick out the readings for my dad's funeral, which is coming up on Tuesday. And that wasn't one of the choices. I was going to jam it in there. And then I thought of my dad and it was like skipping and dancing across the fields. I'm like, that's not my dad. Okay, so we'll go to, <laughs> you know, lay down your weapons and come to your reward. The battle is over kind of reading, which was much more like my dad. But Song of Songs too, dear. So when did it strike you as being so powerful? And In that moment. Oh, just, just in that moment. And then whenever anyone has died that has been like close to me, I go back to that passage. And when I've read that passage in prayer personally and just contemplated it, I well up. Like even just saying it to you now, I was welling up inside of me. I moved. Yes. I was moved from the inside. That, that That's the power of God's word. It's not just I'm emotional. It's you know, moved by God's word that he... That's our home. We're in exile. We're in exile here. We're not yet home. I think we often want to be home here. We want it to be comfortable and enjoyable. And it's well, really a different got, way of seeing your time here on earth. If well, you well, think of it as being in exile versus not. I think, well, Carrie, when I think about, like, if you said the concrete experience of home, what is it? It's the place where you can just go in the front door. You don't have to knock. It's the place where you can take off your jacket and just throw it across the chair you know, it's until your wife says, hang that up. <laughs> you know what's interesting just about that whole idea is I think in the last five years, give or take, um, I think I felt like I could make a home here on earth. And with all that's happened with politics and the government and uh, vaccines and just the this the split of the left and the right and the just craziness of laws that have been passed it's more and more feeling like oh this is not my home or i can't get comfortable i wanted to get comfortable and curl up with a blanket and read a book and and i, I we're just not comfortable in this earth or in this space or in this community or in this country and it's it's jarring it's it's jarring to say it's a valley of tears well, I'm not there yet. <laughs> not, not in the Valley of Tears. But, but I do... Mother Teresa, she calls that the poverty of the West. What's the poverty of the West? The poverty of the West are the material riches that obscure us from the reality that heaven is our home and presents a false ideal to pursue that this is our home. But I felt, I feel even it's a different kind of way of seeing our culture or our country because before I felt very confident, happy, good to be an American. And I loved who we were. And in the last five, 10 years, I've seen, we've seen so much corruption, so much injustice. We've seen it in all the different branches of government. And it's hard for me to want to rally and ex get excited and be um, patriotic towards what? Like when we look at the government now and, and what's being pushed, it's like, this is not my country. So there's this disjointing or jarring kind of like, I don't belong here, or I can't get comfortable in this space or in this country. I don't know. How, I don't really know how to say it. Well, Aquinas would say it. You're a sojourner. You're a sojourner. You're, you're one who is on the way. Well, this is you're, you're made a, more yeah. real. Right. I, what I'm saying is it's more real in the last five years yeah that, that yes, we've been sure. really pulled from any kind of foundation of our future is secure and we can plan and we can set 
goals and blah, blah, blah. It's not no longer. I think we're more just what's going to happen tomorrow? Right. <laughs> what's going to happen next week? What are we? What's going to happen next year? What else are we going to undergo? And I don't think we're at, at an end. And so there's a goodness in that because... It's a gift. It's, yeah, it's lots It's a very painful us. gift, but it's a gift. It's being uprooted. We're being uprooted from this earth as as our true home, right? Yeah. And, and the, I know the interesting thing is, is that it's not... Uh, this, the Catholic way of looking at it would be this, that we're supposed to taste something of the reality of heaven as our home in our own homes. We're supposed to taste something of the fatherliness of the father, what it means to be a son, a daughter, to have the spirit of a communion of persons in our homes. So our homes and our families are, I'm going to put this in quotes, you can't see it on the radio, but sacraments. We are to be a, a place where uh, a sign and an instrument of the very reality of God and life of God dwelling in our midst. So it's not earth is bad and this physical structure called our house is just terrible and marked by darkness, right? Well, no, sure. there, there's, but it, it's, it's difficult to stay in that middle. It's it, to say, thank you, God, for the gift of the way in which you immersed yourself in our lives, in our families. But yet at the same time, let us not set an anchor here. Are you thinking about it? I'm thinking about it. And I'm distracted by our dog. Our dog is here. Alaska. Do you know? Alaska. Our, what do I do with this thing? What do I do with you? One of our daughters calls Alaska number 10. Oh, she does? Yeah. Do you know why? Well, we have Isn't nine that kids. terrible? We got nine kids, so that they're they're they've just slid Alaska, our yellow lab, you into go, the family she, as number ten. She follows me around the house. This is her, a trick I taught her. You guys ready for this? Yeah, let's hear. Let's see the Alaska, trick here. Speak, 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 speak. Oh, yeah. See that? Wow, she that was amazing, dear. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, when she does that upstairs, you get oh, so mad at her. I do not get so mad. You at have her. a love hate relationship with his dog. That's true, but it's not the barking. It's the the shedding and other things. So. And the whining. But she's a super the, sweet dog. She is a special dog. Now you got to get rid of her. Now you gave her a little <laughs> she's attention. Like, she's like all over me. Yeah. <clears throat> Anywho. Right. So, Carrie, I think that... Um, what, 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 what did I start on? Oh, uh, funeral. You're making some profound... Yeah, I made a... Uh, well, we are talking about... Well, when you, we talk about Heaven is Our Home and the Song of Solomon, I think that that intimacy or that where God is your father and you long to be with him, that's really the longing that should be in our heart. Not I long to be in this country or I long to be comfortable in this, you know, what's provided yeah, and, in our space. Which makes death such a big threat because it, yeah. it threatens to ruin the, the life that is just life here. So uh, I think that we are meant to be leaven, salt, light, and leaven in this world, right? Pointing to the world to come, bringing that world to to manifestation in how we live, but not finding our uh, our treasure here on earth. Uh, you you had an example of the way that certain like social media can just blow people up in terms of fame, and how uh, going viral is probably the simplest way of saying it. And you had um, an example of that with a a musician who's been around for ten years. I don't know if you knew that. No, I did not. Yeah, I don't know he, anything. He's been about around him. for a bunch of years, but only started to emerge into 
like the consciousness of of you know the the wider world yes or the popularity level um grew this past summer no was this the summer yeah this past summer but then just took off to the next level in in the last i don't know last month or two what's interesting about him and other famous artists is the the cult following and we've seen our kids get caught up in it this is author or this uh, artist is when you say cult following what do you mean they just can like like really consumed with the like music. interest in the music and, and playing the songs and, well tom it's not like our day now they can these musicians can talk to them they can tweet they can post on instagram you can follow have you seen the taylor swift craze with the guy she's dating oh yeah one of the football players I and think they it's ha- travis kelsey yeah and they're called i think they're called trailers now and <laughs> taylor swift and travis and people actually go to his football games and they play her. to see her. They they like tailgate in the parking lot and play her music. Really? And sing their, her songs. Oh, they that's dress crazy. in crazy pink colors and outfits. And they're actually. I heard that his uniform has spiked in popularity like by four times. Like 400%. Yeah. Yeah. His, uh, what's his it uniform. called? Carry his football uniform, his jersey. (laughs) What's the word they use when you're you're selling their gear? Merch? Yeah, like his merch stuff. Anywho, well, I've seen these kids, these girls crazy about Taylor Swift. And there's there's a place in their heart, in their soul, in their being that is being filled by what she's providing, this amazing, talented... They want to belong. They want to be accepted. uh, Those are the words that psychologists will use. It's more than that. No, no. It's like a worship. It's like an idol. It's no. It's, Are you, well, then, then what you're saying is like she's feeling an ache. She's feeling an ache, and that, ache that is that is there for God. It's not just I want to belong. It's almost like they're obsessed with her. Yeah. And so I with Noah Khan. This is the guy that our our girls went and saw him in concert here in Spokane, and then they are following him, tracking him, and they sat right up front, got to touch his hand. <laughs> they posted on Instagram, but um. Now, what do I listen to in the car? It's Noah Kahn songs. What do we hear on the the um, Alexa? Noah Kahn songs. Uh, what are they talking about? When is he coming to concert next? And now the tickets have gone from, I think Emily's got a ticket for $60 in August, and now they're 1000 1200 1500 at the Gorge. And that and that's a concert June. that's a year from now. <laughs> really expensive tickets are 5000 yeah. She was able to get a ticket a couple days beforehand for $60. It was actually the day of the concert. The day of the I concert. Drove her. Someone there was getting go. rid of it. But anyhow, just so this, this all of a sudden he's incredible. It hearing went viral, yeah. His name everywhere from different people and shows and whatnot. And so now you can really, before you couldn't like follow your musician and hear what he had to say and every day there's photos of right. him if you had a fan club you could join a fan club right and write letters and and <laughs> it was very tedious and long yeah. and you had to wait now it is instant and people are there's a level of, of obsession about taylor swift or noah khan that and others that is it's just sort different. of everything everywhere yeah that was a joke Carrie. Yeah, it's not a, one of his songs Oh. <laughs> is that not a song? See, I, I, I outdid you. This is good. But he's a really the nice phenomenon sound. is nice is not so healthy. Uh, but that actually taps into. Well, what else did you want to say about that? Because I want to, I want to bridge from that. We're about a minute away from a break. I want to bridge from that to the stolen focus theme. That 
Well, I think for me, it was just what I'd read about from St. Vincent de Paul and just that desire for wealth, honor, fame, and how it distracts us or keeps us from knowing the you Lord. You actually never read that quote, but that I No, can... I read it personally. I oh, you read personally it. read it. Okay. <laughs> well, you said that quote from St. Vincent de Paul. You know, guys, know that quote. Everyone knows the oh, quote yeah, come on, about come on, poverty. Guys, come on, just guys. throw it all in the, the trash, Vincent de Paul burn quote, it, and just go for the that. Lord to, for it's poverty. It's an obvious quote. I mean, it, it's not even worth saying, right? The quote from St. Vincent de Paul, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, give away fame, felt, uh, wealth, wealth and, and power. power. Okay, that was a joke. That was a St. Francis quote. All right, back in a minute with Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Hey, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. Now it's a first Friday, so I meant to die to myself. And so why don't we go back to that quote? You have a lovely quote. It's <laughs> it's striking. It's a pretty striking quote from St. Vincent de Paul. So I, I want to hear it, dear. Oh, you do? I do, please. All right. This is from the Magnificat. Uh, it's, it was last week's. Um, it was just striking to me that this was written in the 500 years ago. Is that right? About 500 years ago. And um, he's talking about greed and pleasure and the desire for honor and wealth and that we have to get rid of this and how, you know, the culture in, in that time and age is is literally like abandoning God. And I'm thinking, does he, <laughs> if he were to go fast forward 500 years, what would saints... If saints could parachute into our time, <laughs> they we would not our... fare well. We would, we would not do very like, well, dear. <laughs> I'd be in trouble. I'd be in a lot of trouble. No. I like it because it gets back to the basics. This is what it says. It's not really a quote. It's more of a paragraph. Our Lord came into the world to reestablish the reign of his Father in all persons. He won them back from the devil who had led them astray by the cunning deceit of a greedy desire for wealth, honor, and pleasure. Our loving Savior thought it right to fight his enemy with the opposite weapons, poverty, chastity, and obedience, which he continued to do right up to his death. Um, I just think when you read that, I mean, this is kind of the gospel that's going to be happening this Sunday in talking about where, how are we going to be judged for the fruit that we bear? Yeah. Is that a good lead-in? Did you pick up that? What are you reading? <laughs> what am I reading? I can tell when you like, no, you I like was, to I was managing the sound because you, your voice was going so quiet and then it got loud and then I'm like, okay, I'm trying to, I'm watching the yeah. voice level. That's good. So, see, I'm attending to your voice, It is dear. funny, attending though. Attending to your voice. It is funny when we're talking and I can just tell you're not really listening, but that doesn't happen often. I was listening. I actually okay. was listening okay. I, just because I was watching the, the thing. That, and then you said it relates to today's gospel. I mean, this Sunday's gospel. And um, 
you know, it was, uh, I was focused on the first reading on Sunday from Isaiah chapter five, which talks about producing sour grapes. And uh, that, you know, what's so interesting about that? No. Is that... Um, Do tell. <laughs> the, what is so interesting, so, <laughs> excuse me, folks, listen, this is Isaiah 5, 1 to 7. I'm only going to do the couple of verses. Let me sing the song, my friend's song concerning his vineyard. My friend had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He spaded it, cleared it of stones, planted the choicest vines within it. He built a watchtower, hewed out a wine press. Then he looked for a crop of grapes, but what it yielded was wild grapes. And then it, the Lord complains, like, what more could I have done for you? I, when I looked for a crop of grapes, you brought forth wild grapes. And there was a priest who offered a reflection on this, who read this and said that the, what the Lord was saying to us today through this scripture is, Look what I've given to you. Look what I've poured into you. Look what I've blessed you with in your Catholic Christian life of faith. And I was counting on you. I was counting on you. And, and you know, we looked at for the grapes and it produced wild grapes, right? And what more could I have done? I was counting on you to bear fruit. And you haven't borne the fruit that I expected to get from you having poured into you so much, protecting you from stuff and giving you stuff. Isn't I don't, powerful? That is. I don't know how it relates to the planting of the seed where he goes out and the, the seed falls on different soil. But I was out picking tomatoes and I have a ton of tomatoes that are not red and I don't think they're going to turn red. They're just going to stay green and they're still flowering and producing and I think I have more green grapes or green tomatoes than red tomatoes at this point. And I, I thought about that scripture because here the plant is doing what it's supposed to do. It's, it's green. It's healthy. There's no bugs. It's not shriveled. It's not dying. But the fruit is not going to turn red. I know these grapes are not going to actually finish producing. And I kind of looked at my own life. Lord, I know I have fruit that I've be- born or that I have, but I don't feel like some of my fruit is ripened or it's just green. It's like I'm a Christian, I believe, but how fruitful is the fruits that I'm trying to, I don't know, grow. And it was very convicting because then you mentioned this scripture and it's a different allegory, I know, but still there's this whole idea of how much, (laughs) how much, are we committed to following the Lord? And when St. Vincent writes this, he says, um, he was talking about Christ, the Lord uh, lived in poverty to such an extent that he had nowhere to lay his head. He formed his apostles and disciples, his co-workers in his mission, to live in the same sort of way so that individually they did not own anything. And that way they were freer to combat greed for wealth in a better and more practical way. A greed which is ruining almost the whole world. Okay, this is 500 years ago or whatever, 600 years ago. And I just feel like, gosh, I really struggle with the desire for the greediness for I want more, I want ease, or I want comfort, or I want this for my kids or this for our marriage. And this kind of dissatisfied, you know, um, unsettled part of myself where 
I don't have that sole focus on Christ and his uh, saving souls and living for him and pouring it all out for him. I just feel so diverted in so many different ways. I don't know. So it made me feel like, okay, I have a lot of fruit, but it hasn't ripened. This is really <laughs> convicting. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. No, I, I, I'm, in a certain sense, I'm saying I'm not just glad that, like, I'm not glad in a specific way that is like, oh, good, finally you'll come to recognize the fact that you're not bearing fruit. I'm glad that you are open to let a word from God challenge you strip away defenses and convict you that there's more to do, there's further to go, there's more growth. I think that it's easy for us to become self-protective, defensive, and want to justify or rationalize the life that we're living. Or frankly, just ignore through diversion or distraction or dispersion words from God that will be like a laser beam that will just cut right through and cause us to want to fall on our knees and cry out for mercy. You know, I really like reading the gospel and sitting with them and allowing the Lord to just Holy Spirit come and expose my weaknesses. I mean, he does it quite a bit, so <laughs> there's a lack of weaknesses, but well, I think then that, it's like, what do you do with that? And then I don't well, want... the first thing you do is you have to be open to let the Lord use his angels to be messengers to speak those critical words and not just in the private of your, quiet of your prayer. I can see a little humor coming here. What is, <laughs> a little smirk on your yes, face. Yes, there is. There is. The, sometimes the Lord gives insight through the, the husband he has given you. Okay. So... <clears throat> so, did you want to share something right now, or are you just? <laughs> I think that the Lord has also given me wisdom and discernment <laughs> about holding off on any kind of sharing like that. Unless you, unless you press me, then I just might, for the sake of humility, growth Let's and humility. Say if you needed, if you're not sure what to confess, just ask your spouse. Ask your spouse. Oh, nice. nice. Or your kids. I guess your kids could help too. But yes. So I. So what do you do when you go to communion? And your spouse in front of you doesn't receive communion. Do you ask her, what sin did you commit? Yeah, definitely. Just okay. kind of right there. and Right there. Just <laughs> tap her on the shoulder. Why did, you, why did you get blessed rather than... <laughs> do, you, do you need me to drive you to confession? That's um, so funny. I, I wondered about that. So I, I actually love that my kids and you or I will feel the conviction that says, I ought not go to communion today. That, that's, that's a healthy sign. That's not, for me, a bad sign. The bad sign is more that no kid would ever even think about not going to communion, or one of us would just even presume, why would we not go to communion? Yeah, I think it's also very humbling or even humiliating in a sense. You go up and you don't receive. Because then you're self-accusing of, I am not worthy, and I need to go to confession, or I've sense that I'm not supposed to receive for whatever reason. So there is a way in which, not that everyone's watching you as you go to communion, because you would never do that, right, honey? You close your eyes and pray while... I'm always bumping into people because my eyes are closed, <laughs> but I'm walking up on my knees, so it's hard to know exactly when I get there. So. I get, it's so funny when my girls, or boy, when they go down on their knees to receive the Eucharist, it just catches me off guard and like, oh, wow, okay. So I haven't quite gotten there yet. I love that. I just, I've said that before how many times on the program, but it's, it's a phenomenon. Well, the thing about, I think what's so good is when I see people not receive is that they, 
me. I believe it is Jesus, or as best as I can believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And I don't want to receive him unworthily. So there is this relationship that is alive, and it is ongoing communication with the Lord. And so I love that. People actually, don't that's, receive. that's powerful. I, that's I, actually I, quite powerful. I never really thought of it like that. Like, Lord, I acknowledge you with such reverence and the fact that you're holy and ought to only be received worthily, but I still want to draw close to you and be blessed even if I am unable to receive from you. And no one would know. No one, no one can read my soul except you, Lord. And so my conscience is the only thing that would stop me from coming, you know, from receiving communion. So that, that is powerful. I like that. I, I hadn't really thought about that. Hmm. So the power of God's word to, to strike our lives, what St. Vincent de Paul is saying here, in, in one of the things he's saying, if you noticed it, he raised up the ideal that Jesus Christ is our ideal, the, what we ought to be pursuing and make real in our own lives. And so he used poverty, chastity, and obedience, that Jesus lived perfectly, and that if we're imitating Christ, we as well ought to pursue him in poverty, chastity, and obedience, that those will help overcome enemies of our spiritual life. Does he, does he think that uh, poverty goes against wealth? Yes. Mm-hmm. How does chastity go against Pleasures. honor? No, it would be against pleasure. Because the, the three that he used... Oh, chastity goes with pleasure, and then yeah. does obedience go with honor? I think obedience is... is so what <laughs> St. Vincent de Paul missed in there is if he says <laughs> honor... Gonna, okay. Well, honor is associated with that the one who Fame? is elevated up in, in the eyes of the community okay. as one worthy of being... Um, uh, worthy of being... Um, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, honored because of the life that he lived. So that's where fame comes in, but he might also be referring to power, like having a position of power. That That's the other one that's okay. typically in there, is wealth, fame, and power. And that's why obedience is connected to power, because I'm, I'm not saying I have disposition over my okay. life. And that's why those some priests are asked to like leave or they're sent away. <laughs> and a lot of these priests will obey because they realize humbly I will do what those in authority request of me, even if they disagree. Yeah, so there's a sense priests, of order in the church. Yeah, priests promise, uh, diocesan priests, they don't make vows, but they make promises of what? Chastity and uh, or celibacy, right? And they make a promise of respect and obedience to the bishop at ordination. Okay. So did you say what chastity counters? Yeah, chastity is about ordering the pleasures oh. of our bodies in a way that the that sense of sexual pleasure, but just more broadly speaking, so, our whole affective like life. Like eating, food, yeah. warmth. So what, um, okay. the pleasures of the body. <laughs> no, it's, like, it's okay. I know, I just like went back at first grade. I always have these questions. No, the pleasures of the appetites of the body can be... Um, traced back to getting chastity right. If you oh. can be chaste, if you can order the affections, you, your affective life, where you're drawn to things, and you've um, you have 
uh, purified that. Why is it always referred to as sexual? Because I don't think I have sexual temptations the way maybe guys would or other people. But you always think of chastity as, is that just our lack of understanding what chastity is? So chastity, uh, chastity, it's a broader thing than just celibacy. Okay. And when, when we've talked about chastity in our house, do you remember what else do we talk about? Purity. Ch- champs, chastity, oh. modesty, purity, self-control. So you see that last one, self-control. Okay. That makes more sense. So you will never be chaste without also being modest and pure and exercise self-control. So you could look at chastity as the crown, and that, uh, that crown is going to have roots. There, there are going to be allied virtues that have to grow with it. And so modesty and purity and I really wish we learned more of this. What's that? I, w- I really would have benefited having known this as a younger person. Yeah, well, and, and even as for an adult. parents, I mean, my goodness, God bless us. Folks, you, you mean, you want your kids to be modest, right? But do you focus on those other ones? Well, you I want them love... to be pure, but do you focus on chastity and self-control? I just would love to have priests or teachings on virtues and how it lays out in your day-to-day. Unfortunately, most priests have had one class on moral theology, and they cover the, you know, the, the different virtues that are part of the, the, the life of faith. But well, the I idea mean, of teaching, teaching like how to foster chastity in family life, in married life, among kids, they have not been equipped to do that. That's a good thing we have podcasts. It's a good thing we have podcasts. <laughs> or books. Right, and books and programs and stuff like that. All right, we're up against a break, Carrie. When we come back, hey, we're in a flow. We'll, we'll, keep, uh, we'll keep on going here on the program. Hey, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. So, Carrie, I never answered the question for you. Remember I talked about the sour grapes and I was counting on you and I said there was a priest who offered that reflection? It was the same priest who gave that homily on the Arise, My Beloved, My Beautiful One and Come. Oh. That Father George Ashenbrenner. He's a good preacher. Yeah. A holy priest of God. He wrote a book on the spirituality of the diocesan priest and he was a Jesuit. (laughs) Isn't that funny? That's really great. Yeah. So he would go and... Uh, he would give talks around the country on to, to diocesan priests, and um, obviously he was a, he was the spiritual director at the North American College, and I can remember uh, they would the different priests would share a bit about their spirituality and their approach to spiritual direction, and when I heard him and I heard the others, I'm like, everyone's going to choose him, thinking why would anybody choose anyone else, only to find out that I was wrong. You know, there are different, you know, different strokes for different folks, but I just saw him as so rock solid and holy. And yeah, I've got great memories of him. And I should, I should say, prepare, say a prayer for the repose of his soul. He went home to God a few years ago, uh, but had, had a big impact on my life. Father George Ashenbrenner. So now, anything else about that scripture? From- oh. Sunday's I, gospel. I I have let that homily strike me, you know, for decades. I, I heard it in like 1988, but I would come back around to, I was counting on you. I was counting on you. I was counting on you. And 
the gifts given to me are not only for me. The gifts given to me were meant to bear fruit for others. The gifts given to me were meant to bear fruit for his kingdom. They were given to me not just for my enjoyment. Yes. Oh, so is that where you get those phrases from, from that gospel? They are traced back to oh, I didn't know that. that I was counting on you. So it's amazing how God's word can, again, sink deep roots into our hearts and blossom forth in our lives. Well, it was always neat, and you live this out in a really profound way, is you've been gifted with different things, and you're always saying, these are not for me. I'm not you know, intellectually smart or capable to make a ton of money for myself. This is for God's kingdom. Or this is... Or I can't lord it over other people and say, why don't they get in line? How can they not be? You're like, no, I just was given a gift, and I'm a steward of it. And I, if anything, I need to be able to figure out a way to give it back to the Lord and have him you know, be used for his kingdom. But you're never with the disposition of, oh, they need to fix this, or why is these people are. You're not, you never came across like a judging kind of condemning person. You're just so grateful that God gave you the gifts he gave you, and you're just like, please, Lord, let them be used for your kingdom. I, I'm going to be held accountable. And there was just a sense of stewardship over that. And I never seen or heard that in people. Typically, <laughs> in our culture, it would be the other way of, well, look at me. I'm so smart and, and rich and, and popular or famous or whatever the words are. And, and I've been given and look how hard I've worked. And I've strove and I've, I've worked diligently and I, I deserve what I've been given. And because I put in the time and the effort and Verse, it was just such a different way of seeing your gifts. I don't know if that makes sense, but when I heard you say that a few years back, I was like, oh. Actually- I, th- I think that if on the one hand there, was a, there is a great sense of stewardship, it was because of how I was formed, right? The, 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 the gift of the formation I received in the seminary uh, in Boston and then in Rome and then in the... Um, men's household with Father Mark Montmany just forged in me that spirit of, you know, you're on mission and be of, be of service. I think that my, my bigger challenge wasn't like complaining that others weren't doing it or trying to exalt myself for doing it. I think I was just condescending. I think that was my bigger sin. (laughs) And who would you look down on? Pretty much everybody, you know, (laughs) I, no, there would be an interesting way that it would show up in my life. And it was when I would bump up against people who would say, with the gifts that I've been given, I've been able to make a lot of money or get a lot of power or get a lot of fame or have all of these results that are measurable and visible in the eyes of the world. And there's a lot of sparkle to them. I would feel a little frustration that, hey, wait a minute. I didn't use my gifts for those things, and I want to be acknowledged for that. Oh, and and so if <laughs> that might I, be a worse sin, <laughs> I know. If if I don't compare, like, oh, you have more money than I do, or you got nicer stuff than I do, or you're doing, you know, nicer things than I get to do with my family, it was yeah, but I wasn't pursuing those things, so don't measure me on that. Mm. So that that that's a. That that's an unholy frustration. That is the 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 dark side of. It's good, Tom. You don't want to what Saint Vincent says. The Lord has reestablished the reign of the Father, and He won them back from the devil who led them astray by the cunning deceit of a greedy desire. 
that desire for wealth or honor or pleasure, just, oh, I just want to just live in a full, rich life that's all about myself, which is so so cunning because the enemy is trying to exchange the goodness of God for these temptations. And you say it, and it, oh, of course. But when I try to live it out, it's like, I, I just really struggle. Yeah. I, I think about it. So, you know, I do this real estate in, uh, stuff, and I'm, I'm with a, a brokerage called Sotheby's. And so I deal with a lot of agents that are working with a lot of luxury clients, right? Their homes are worth multi, multiple millions of dollars and all of this. And there is definitely a strand or energy a stream or energy that says, uh, by doing this, I am among the wealthy and I am getting wealthy and I'm pursuing wealth by doing this. And this is how you can pursue more wealth. Oh, and, and here's you know, all the. And this is a sign of how far you've come because now you're in this group and you can. It's just so cunning. It, it is. And I, 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 I'm walking among these folks thinking, that is not what I'm about. <laughs> like, that is not who I am. That's not what I'm about. But boy, it's seductive. It is seductive. And in it, again, it can it lead me to that two-edged sword of saying, thank you, Lord, for keeping me on, on a path where I'm just trying to serve families. I just want to help families get to a healthy place for themselves in buying and selling, right? But the allure of the, or the, the allure of it, and then the frustration that says, well, if I'm not pursuing that, I'm not lesser because of it. And neither do I despise you. I should make careful that I'm not going to despise you because you are pursuing it. I think you just need to go back to your Song of Solomon. Song, Arise, my beloved, my, beloved, my come, beautiful one, and come. come. Time to go home. Home to heaven. Come, Let's go. Come. Keep your, just, yeah, hey, the, what, what, where are you selling real estate? You know, you want to sell real estate in the kingdom of God, right? So you want to <laughs> get people to, to, to buy into that to that kingdom. That's where, that's what really matters. So, well, Carrie, I don't want to have stolen focus. You see, I want to keep my focus on the Lord. Yeah. Uh, that's the name of a book, Why You Can't Pay Attention and How to Think Deeply Again. By Johan Hari. How about Johan? Johan Hari. Yeah. So did did you read the book? Uh, I've read four chapters, three chapters, but I got distracted. I wasn't focused. Did you enough. really? I was reading. We were so Annalise, our daughter, plays uh, volleyball, and you, when you're in the inland northwest, you're and we're playing against schools that are less than 120 kids or 150 kids. You have to drive to all these farming towns. I don't, I don't even know if they're farming towns. Legit. Farming rural. towns, just, just rural. Rural, small towns. And so you get there early, and you're kind of waiting around. So I went out in the with the cows. They were mooing, and I started reading. Uh, we have an hour before the game, and I wanted to go out in the beautiful, beautiful farmland. It's so pretty in some of these areas. Just really beautiful drives. Right now, it's beautiful. In the winter, when it's snowing and cold and dark, and you're playing basketball, it's going to be a different story. But uh, So yeah, I went out and <laughs> read the book, uh, and they got into this whole chapter on flow, and he was, this uh, scientist was studying people that were totally occupied in the arts and how they would um, be unusually focused and dedicate themselves to uh, painting. Or he, he also went into like rock climbing, chess, other arts. But he just said that they would almost lose themselves in these hours of creating and painting. And they weren't doing it for like monetary reasons, or they weren't doing it to try to get to the next painting. It was just this 
uh, he called it flow, that their mind would get into and how they just were passionate and enjoyed it and pursued it. And so I think they just wanted to say how, you know, with the phones and our inability to just spend hours doing something, because this particular author just was realizing just how distracted he was with, you know, technology. So he kind of went on a year-long discovery of what it means to not be in technology. And so he went and talked with different, quote-unquote, you know, specialists or leading thinkers in this area of focus. Yeah, it, he talks about fragmentation or flow, right? Do you want to have a fragmented like consciousness or do you want to be able to flow? And uh, I you know, skimmed through like a, sort of a detailed review of the book and there was some you know, interesting like, facts in there, like sociologists or brain scientists and studying about multitasking and speed reading and the lack of reading. There's some interesting themes in there. We'll, we'll get into those in just a minute. Hey, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. So, Carrie, we're talking about flow versus fragmentation. And I I like that. I like that part where he gets into the concept of flow. And when you think about flow, it's you just carried along, right? There's just that you, you, I think you've experienced that with regards to running, Right, you can kind of lose yourself in running. Yes, and a long time ago. Long time ago, <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> and you know, I wish. that the same is true in, let's call those immersive events, where you can give yourself over to something or be drawn within, in such a depth level, that you just carried along. And so I liked his reference to chess. Because I think chess does do that. It allows for that kind of intensity of focus, the total giving oneself over to. And then it allows you to, to just go deeper into, like the, in this instance, the analysis of different moves and the implementation of certain strategies on a chessboard. But much more, and, and you know what? That, that gets at the human level. There's, there's the human level, and then there's the supernatural level, the dimension of grace, where God gets us in a flow. Well, I, I don't know, like he said chess, but I don't know how your mind is able to like think creatively, except you're moving, you're, you're strategizing to win, I imagine. Uh, however, if you're rock climbing or running or maybe painting, I feel like my mind can wander and just kind of be set free or be unentangled or um, like the web is unwound or something. There's There's a way in which, or you go for a walk and you just, you have no music, you have no technology with you you're just kind of or drive I often (laughs) flow in driving (laughs) don't have to do much but I love to get up early and go when we drive to Seattle or to Oregon I enjoy those hours in the car of just quietly thinking and praying and pondering and some of the most creative thoughts are coming to me while I'm driving but it's not happening when I'm sitting in my home it doesn't happen when I sit in a chair I don't know why um, I have to like be doing something that doesn't require a lot of thought. So I think chess is too thoughtful, but I could be wrong. Um, or painting. You're just, I don't know, just a thought. I really, though, feel like there's a creative unleashing that happens when I'm driving in the morning. Not at night, <laughs> just in the morning. So I believe it or not, I was thinking about this yesterday during my prayer time. I was reflecting on atheists and the concept of mistrust 
and how one of the big challenges that certain types of atheists today, uh, one of the challenges they face is a scientific mindset, Okay. which means you stand apart from something and you look at it, and then you analyze it and pick it apart. And so you question and you have doubts. And that's the opposite of what allows you to get into flow, which is trust, which is I'm going to give myself over to something. I'm going to immerse myself into something. And it's there that I'll really come to know what is real. I, 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 it's a different kind of knowing than will come from standing apart and looking at and dissecting. And so in, in our life of faith, a lot of the, let's call it the contemplative flow is definitely connected to that sense of being open to being drawn in. I think that happens easier in the Latin mass for me because I don't, I'm just in a quiet contemplative space and I'm not responding or praying the Latin prayers. I'll have the reader, but I just would find that it would be more of a, an effort on my part, but I wasn't constantly responding in English to the prayers and then up. I don't know. It just, it was more, it's, well, it's being distracting. Still. It's solitude. It's, it's solitude together with others. Yeah. I really find that powerful in the, when the mass is said in Latin versus the Lord be with you and with your spirit. We lift up our hands of the Lord. <laughs> I don't know. Now I'm to the point where I just, I just kind of tune it out and I just pray the gospels. I don't know if I should say that. <laughs> Full, conscious, active participation. That's what the Sacrosanctum Concilium says. That's the know. document on the liturgy uh, from the Second Vatican Council. That It's looking for more active participation, and that's why we have liturgical prayers yeah, and responses. Yeah, but I like to go inside my mind and heart, like inner, like inward. So what will help, my encouragement to you, okay. is to do that at home. The more that you can go within in silence, in solitude, in simplicity. You can strip away the external. Like you talked about going for walks and drives, and it's harder to sit quiet. When you sit quiet, your mind will also become quiet. It'll slow down. It eventually does slow down, and you will be able to go within. It's almost like I have to force myself to go away on a retreat. Oh, yeah. Like I can't do it for long here, and I get so caught up in like 20 things right in front of me that are calling for my attention. I think part of the... <laughs> it's like Carrie, I just need to go away every night somewhere. It's temperament. <laughs> every night. I mean, hey, nature, nurture, choice. It's like I can't pray in my house. It seems so silly. I need that to is like, silly. I know. It's like I have a better time. Yeah, but it's also know yourself. And so part of knowing yourself is that by nature and nurture and choice, you're someone that prefers to be active rather than contemplative, likes to get stuff done. And gets frustrated if you're sitting still and you look at stuff that is out of place. And and, think, and then you start thinking about things that are out of place. And then it's like, what am I doing here? Let's get moving. And then I start bugging you. I say, hey, Tom, how's that reading going? What are you reading? What are you reading? How's your coffee? How's your prayer? <laughs> What's the Lord saying to you? And I'm so obliging <laughs> that our relationship that I will give up my prayer. I talked about oh, you yesterday. What does our therapist say? You did this. I know. I do. And yeah. how that I permitted it. I didn't say to you, no, nah, honey. I'll talk to you in 20 minutes. But you're super easy to distract. Like I can, <laughs> that's not nice. I should be better. I should be more of a helpmate to your prayer. <gasps> Thank you, yes. Jesus. This is this is a gift happening right now. Um, well, and we're supposed to support each other, right? Yeah. In that, I, I think that the way that I, I said it on the radio yesterday, that I 
have not had as much quiet time in the morning. I haven't been getting up quite as early, but I still get up first, but I've been using the time to clean. You know what's so great is now that I'm taking our time, I take Annalise to school at 6.50 in the morning, so I'm up early now. I have to get up, which is great. Um, but on the way home, I can just pray, listen to the rosary. I have a half-hour drive to come back and get the other girls. And so I'm in the car driving, and I can do worship. I can listen to the rosary or pray the rosary with the rosary app or just do spiritual. I don't do it with Annalise on the way there. We say, we say a prayer. We take time to pray. But it's just a gift. Being in the car, I can't really do anything else, and I can just spend a half hour doing spiritual re- prayer and reflection. I love that. I think that's awesome. It's a gift. I mean, to not try to see it as, oh, this takes at this time. No, this time is now just forced, set aside, and now, I mean, I think that a lot of people have that opportunity when they drive to work or they commute um, or they have drives, wherever. It's, it's different when there's kids in the car, but this is the only time, often not in the car by myself, but this just happens to be the case. So it's been a real pleasure. Well, in that, in that book on the stolen focus, he gets into this theme that uh, it's multitasking, it's speed reading, it's the nature of social media to get us to jump around rather than a more linear approach to reflection that comes when you're reading a book. And so he talks about the diminishment of book reading uh, that is happening, and statistically, the number of people that have never read a book or didn't read a book in the last year. So, truth be told, I had Tom put, I had him shut my phone down with a passcode, so it went off every night at eight o'clock. Is that it? Yeah. And then screen it went, time, baby. <laughs> it screen time password. Back, it wouldn't come back on until eleven in the morning, so that I would take a more serious effort to pray. And then I said to Tom just today, I was like, "Well, when have we actually watched a show together?" together. And I said, I need to actually give me your phone and I will screen protect your phone and you can screen protect my phone. And then when we agree to watch a show together, we can unprotect each other's phone Oh, nice! <laughs> or take prayer time or whatever. I, I think couples could, I don't know, but then I didn't have ways and I couldn't figure out if I needed to go a different way to get to school. And a couple of things happened and, oh, I know. Yeah. We needed the phone for something that was more important. So you had to give me the passcode. So we have to reset it. Yes. Yeah, we were, where are we going to the airport? Or? I don't remember. I, you te- on a you field trip? Me and said, I was on a field trip. I, and okay. I, or I was going somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, and I needed to make sure I knew where I was going. So Okay. Anywho, you'll have to reset it. <laughs> it was good while it lasted. Well, and we, we have a ninth grader, Annalise, who just got her first iPod, an iPod Touch, sixth generation. So it's not even a late generation. It's iPod. distracting enough, but it's still. It's just a huge distraction. distraction. It's like this is not. And helping. and we put a I put a, a all these limiting things on it, and then she forgot the code. Thank you. Lord. <laughs> so she had to reset everything, <laughs> and so, which is good. Well, I mean, I struggle with it. I how could she or anyone younger just not have it be? And then, I don't know. It's it's just having to li- how to learn to live well with it is really what we need to be teaching our kids. Right. So the importance of focus is that it'll allow us to get into the flow. And I didn't even get into, like, that's what happens in adoration, right? In adoration, once we are able to be still and come into a place of stillness, then the time of adoration just flows. The time of prayer just flows. 
Those are good. Those are good moments when it happens that way. Yeah. Amen. All right. Carrie, thanks for the time today. I appreciate you being on. And God bless you all. Please say a prayer for us as we head out to my dad's funeral on Monday, on Tuesday morning. All right. God bless your day. Join me on Monday for more Sun Insight.